And now back to Lifeline. We are back. The time 521 on this Monday edition of Lifeline. We are reading a hopefully a compelling story of one Roger Williams said to be the uh, grandfather of the uh, movement from uh, Europe, from England, from Britain to the Americas because of his commitment to freedom of speech and his sufferings. And uh, we are just getting into some of the commentary around those who made their settlement here in the Americas and largely at that time for religious reasons against state tyranny and against religious tyranny, something you must keep in mind, go hand in hand. You are never going to have a dominant prevailing governmental system that is powerful and, uh, and, and, and prominent in a society where it doesn't also have as a slave of its agenda, a compromised apostate religious system. It's a matter of simply de defining and uh, identifying those religious systems that succumb to the beast system and play a role in advancing controls and domination and power dynamics over the people. Um, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. That which has been is, and that which is has already been as well. That which will be has already been as well. And so we are looking at some of the same things. Now, the author goes on to say that the colonies struggled mightily that first winter when they came to the Americas, over 20% of the colonists perished. And many who were survivors in the winter just went on back to England because it was just too harsh. In February 1631, a Cambridge-educated, listen, preacher, his name was Robert, and his young wife, Mary, arrived on the relief ship Lion, William's Christian faith on the relief ship Lion. He came to the Americas. William's Christian faith was extremely strong. He was very young, by the way, in his 20s, even for that characteristically religious age, and his reputation preceded him to New England. He had fled Britain because his views were unacceptable to the established Church of England, and he was in uh, he was in Archbishop Loud's sight. Now, you guys know the Church of England is gone now. It's just absolutely apostate by and large. Some would argue that it's not, but it is. It has been given up the crown rights of Scripture as its ultimate authority. And uh, here is some of the conversation around that. Mr. Williams understood, Roger Williams understood, you cannot fix a large corrupt system uh, by staying in it when it has demonstrated absolute allegiance to the state. On arrival in Boston, he was offered one of the most prestigious positions in the new colony, that of teaching pastor at the Boston church, but listen carefully to this. His future would have been secure, but he turned the position down on the grounds that the Boston church had not separated from the Church of England. In other, in other words, even though the Boston church is thousands of miles away in, uh, in New England, in the American colonies, it's still connected to the whore church in Europe, in England. Over the next four years, he moved first to Salem, you know, where Salem was, then to Plymouth, and then back to Salem. He kept moving because he kept discomforting the local powers that be with his heterodox views. Through brilliant 
Though brilliant and charismatic, Williams was also strong-willed and unbending in his core beliefs. Now, you see, that kind of person is often called arrogant. That kind of person is often called proud. That kind of person is often called unkind. That kind of person is often vilified. And yet almost everywhere you go, what you're going to find when you find a person like that, you're simply going to find an individual that is resolved in their position no matter what the cost. Remember our opening message? Buy the truth and sell it not. Listen to what is said about this young man. And the two beliefs that he held dearest were first, that the state should not interfere with matters of the conscience. That is, that there should be no state-established religion. And second, that the colonists had no right to the lands of the Native Americans if they did not purchase them. Do you see what I mean by the tie-in with Indigenous Peoples Day? See, you have a brother here, he's Caucasian, and yet he's not salivating at the mouth to destroy Native Americans, the Indigenous people. He wanted them free, and the reason why is because he had a biblical worldview about the Imago Day in all of us, and furthermore, he knew what Torah said, thou shalt not. Now it goes on to say, and furthermore, that the King of England had no right to be granting Native Americans lands away. Is that coal or what? Three things, two beliefs. The state does not get to govern your conscience, which is what's happening in my nation and my world right now. Secondly, that the state has no right to control or establish a religion. Well, our religions have capitulated to the state. I'm talking about your big ones. Your Baptists, okay, your evangelical churches, many of your Protestant churches have just fallen under the complete sway of the government. We are in the same place that Mr. Williams was 400 years ago. Nothing new under the sun. He said, the uh, the people of America, the colonists who came here, you have no right to take the native people's land. He said this in 1635, you guys, way before the War of Independence. He's a Christian. He's a minister of the gospel. He wouldn't take a church that was trapped to the state because he knew that to be trapped to the state was to stifle your capacity to tell the truth as it is in Jesus. That the King of England had no right to be granting the Native Americans lands away. You and I would, uh, we would totally agree with that today because the tides have shifted. We're no longer dominated by the false narrative and controlled narrative of our American government because, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost and they have to pay some bills. Those beliefs cost him everything in 1635 when he was banished from the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So he just got banished from Europe, from, from Britain. Now he's banished from the Massachusetts Bay Colony. That's what happens when you are actually committed to claims of truth for the good of all men in the name of the true and the living God. Now it goes on to say, before we take a break, the handful of small fragile settlements along the New England shore could ill afford to have someone as esteemed as Williams stirring up dissent and questioning their land claim. You're fine to preach, long as you don't talk about the evils going on in the government. You're fine to preach as long as you don't expose the leaders for corrupt, fraudulent theft practices. 
You can preach and all the people will love, love you as long as you don't expose everybody for being on the fragile grounds of theft, criminal behavior of all kinds of wicked. It's okay for you to preach as long as you don't tell the truth where it hurts people. This is where we are today. Again, the handful of small fragile settlements in New England, they didn't like him coming there too because he would say the same thing to them. When he kept speaking his mind to others in Salem during the winter, delayed uh, during the winter, delayed to his banishment, the magistrates had had enough. Listen to what they did, you guys. By mid-January, they sent troops to arrest him. Once again, Governor Winthrop, you know, and there's always somebody that's going to help the servant of God. I can tell you that now. Everybody is not going to bow to the system. Some are going to do it in private like Nicodemus did, but they're going to always help God's servant because God's servant has a purpose for speaking the truth in love. Once again, Governor Withrop intervened and tipped Williams off. He fled alone into the wilderness, leaving his wife and small children behind. That means they were protected, just to let you know, okay? He had to go because they didn't want his wife and children. They wanted him, so he had to flee for his life. Had he then died of exposure, which easily could have happened, he would be living, we would be living in a very different world. Now, when I come back from the break, that's what I want us to talk about. Why would the world be different if it wasn't for Mr. Williams? The story of his flight, of how he was sheltered by Native Americans, Ah, the plot thickens, doesn't it? The plot thickens. This is something that we used to talk about frequently when the uh, social justice warriors wanted to make all white people bad because they had black slaves. And we would insist that if you listen to many of them, you'd find out that the relationships were more than just cordial on many occasions. Why? Because we're dealing with humanity. We're not merely dealing with a Marxist conflict theory narrative of the proletariat against the bougie. We're dealing with real human beings and complex relationship dynamics, which is the way God's word presents the reality of human life. When I come back more with this one who found a great relationship with Native Americans because he preached the truth and told his own countrymen, you are wrong for stealing land. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back to Time 535 on the Monday edition of Lifeline as we are listening to this very unique story of one Roger Williams. We have uh, followed him through his being banished not only from uh, England, but now from the Boston uh, colonies because they can't stand him telling them they're, they're needing to correct their ways too, their ethical and moral ways when it comes to land grabs and, uh, and, uh, and defrauding the Native Americans. The story of his flight of how he was sheltered by the Native Americans subsequently given land by them on the Narragansett Bay. So he fled from his own people because they didn't like him telling the truth about stealing and he ends up having a great relationship with the Native Americans, and they gave him land. Now, isn't that ironic? Whereas the government is taking land from the Native Americans, and many churches are being quiet about it because they're benefiting, okay? There's a lot that could be said there. Mr. Williams 
is saying you're wrong, they banish him and the Native Americans give him land where he founded the community of Providence. You know Providence, Long Island, that's it, that's him. Now listen to the story. It's relatively well known and has almost an air, an air of folklore about it, but it is at that point, however, that his story gets really interesting where William's theology led him into an ever-shrinking circle of what constituted the true church, to the point where he didn't even share communion with his wife. One would then begin to understand what were the conflicts going on in his own home for him standing up for the truth. It's very easy to follow that out and see. Jesus said, except you follow me, except you be willing to separate from mother and father and sister and brother, you're not worthy to be my disciples. Believers have always had to deal with these kind of painful breaks in relationships for standing for the truth. One would have anticipated that he would have chosen to populate his community with a very select group of those who shared his theology, but he did the opposite, which is going to be insightful here. Because what we're getting ready to talk about is the danger of wanting uh, everyone around you to be exactly like you, which is not religion and certainly is not the gospel, gospel proper, but rather men and women are walking in lockstep to, again, a tyrannical system. He pushes back on this. This is what you would call a true classical liberal, by the way which is what many of the early founding fathers would have been, uh, seeking freedom from the tyranny and control of the government and letting every man's conscience guide him according to the word of God, if he's a Christian, and if he's not a Christian, according to nature, because the believer in the Bible recognizes we're all created in the Imago Dei. There's a fundamental moral ethical system that we all share. And if men and women violate those ethical moral systems, then they are to be accountable as Genesis 9 says, if man shed man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. So even in pagan countries, there's a legal system dealing with any kind of fraudulent, harmful, dangerous uh, behavior. Anyhow, Williams reacted to his banishment by forming a community that was open to everyone, no matter what the creed was they followed. Providence welcomed not just Protestants, but Catholics, Jews, Muslims, and those of no faith at all. Other thinkers had preceded him in some of these ideas, but none of them had tried to realize these principles in, a, in, in practice. Other New England colonists who held beliefs and opinions that were not tolerated by the Puritans migrated to Rhode Island and the colony grew. Now, why would a colony of people with all kinds of different ideas and different views and different positions grow? Because of the context and concept of freedom. The outcast preacher had succeeded in creating something new, a self-governing community of settlers who did not all follow one particular religious sect. You and I know what Judaism did. You and I know what Catholicism has done. We know what, uh, what uh, Islam has done under that kind of model of theocratic government, tyrannical theocratic governance. And this is what the founding fathers tried to work with. Even more remarkably, this relentlessly devout Christian whose entire life revolved around his faith and who had, who was hypercritical of his co-religionists did something unprecedented. 
he made sure that the ecclesiastical authority was kept separate from the secular authority. That is, that the church was independent from the state. He believed passionately that the government should have no role in enforcing religion or interfering with a person's conscience, which is what happened three years ago. From his personal experience of religious intolerance enforced by the power of the state, first in New England and then uh, and first in England and then New England, Williams had the insight that toleration of dissenting views and the separation of church and state were keys to ending religious strife. What is the wars in the name of religion that kill people all over the world uh, because of intolerance? Uh, it tore Europe up, the United Kingdom, even the colonies in the New World. And as living proof of that revolutionary insight, his small colony that was open to all, especially those persecuted elsewhere, took root and flourished. But the struggle was not over. Rhode Island's very existence was an affront to its larger neighbors. In other words, Massachusetts Bay, Connecticut, and Plymouth. Moreover, these neighboring communities coveted the attractive lands and ports of Williams' small non-conforming colony, and they started to scheme how they could carve Rhode Island up among themselves. The only hope to keep this from happening was to secure a charter from the British government. Now, get this insight. This is going to be interesting, you guys. Love to hear your opinion on it. And with that purpose, Williams sailed back across the Atlantic to plead Rhode Island's case in London. Massachusetts sent a uh, competing envoy, envoy to press its claims to Narragansett's granted lands. William arrived in England in April 1643 and returned to North America in September the following year. In those 18 short months, with his spoken and written words, he kindled a fire for freedom that was to have enormous repercussions on both sides of the Atlantic. You see why uh, tyrannical governments must shut down freedom of speech? It's because it emboldens men and women who love freedom to then begin to talk. That's why where you and I are today, ladies and gentlemen, is in a very dangerous way because of technology having the ability to not only censor you, but fundamentally erase you from the larger public sphere to have anything to say of any good. And when you are dominated by a controlling narrative, you might as well understand you have no freedom. It is fundamentally this reason that the Founding Fathers spoke of a freedom of the press at the top of the list of freedoms. You have to be free to engage in discourse, to dialogue, to debate, to fiercely debate what's right. Without that, freedom is a sham. And when they can tell you what you cannot say, they can also really tell you what you cannot think. Because once you start censoring yourself, then you are controlling your own thoughts coming from someone else. And that is what's going on in our world today. This is what makes this young man such a sterling example to us. Let me read a little bit more. I'll take a break. By the way, the number is one 367 one Let's have a conversation on the other side of uh, this first hour and just pick up and talk about the implications because it's only going to get worse from here. I guarantee you until there are enough men and women who love freedom 
and freedom of speech to act like they're created in the image of God. In his two most famous works, A Key into the Language of America and the Bloody Tenet of Persecution for the Cause of Conscience, as well as numerous pamphlets, Williams had a huge impact on the civil rights debates during the Commonwealth period. Not least, Williams had a substantial influence on John Milton, whose Ariel Pagetica, uh, considered by many the greatest defense of free speech ever written, was after Williams had departed to return to America. So while here in America, some of the same stuff is stirring up that was going on in England, Williams is making an impact on both sides. Why? Because he's willing to be a lion and stand up for the truth. Williams' writings and conversations with leading Commonwealth figures, he was friends with John Milton, Henry Vane, uh, and Oliver Cromwell. During his two trips to England, his lively experiment in Rhode Island were a major influence on subsequent political developments on both sides of the Atlantic. His thought echoes through the political debates of the post-Commonwealth and pre-Revolutionary War periods, including in the more famous writings of John Locke, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. Who would have known that Williams was a forerunner to the freedom that had to be fought for even in this country to abandon the controlling arms of King George who would have dominated all of America from his throne if he could. Today, it's the World Health Organization. Today, it is the World Economic Forum. Today, it's Davos. Today, it is your big banking systems and your powerful corporatocracy. They are what is seeking to control absolutely everything on the planet. Wake up to it. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. To join the conversation, call 888-4KFAX. That's 888-FORKFAX. And now back to Lifeline. As we return, we've got about nine minutes in this segment. We will cross over and take your phone calls at one 888 Three six seven five three two nine. I five three two nine. I tried to introduce you to Williams and only wanted to um, deal with that segment that pertained to where you and I are today, and that is um, the principle of the Savior motif. I teach at Grace Bible Church. God never saves by a multitude. In fact, once you get most most comfortable with the multitude, you lose your own personal internal integrity because your integrity now is exported to the group. And uh, if the group goes left, then you go left. And if the group goes right, then you go right. If the group goes down, then you go down. You're no longer tethered to the truth. That's where autonomy comes in. That's where free agency comes in. And Mr. Williams is yet another individual in the litany of stars throughout the history of mankind where God raises up a person that just says no. I'm going to fight this tooth and nail until there's a change. Now, here's the remainder of his story. Roger Williams was very much a man of his time, but I believe that we are in need of his wisdom now in these Orwellian times, says the author of this article, where the very powerful are trying to control what we can say and even what we can think. It's true. Roger Williams would tell us that censoring speech does not further the search 
for truth or advance the goals of unity and peace. Neither does enforcing belief or, as he would say, forcing conscious, forcing souls. None of these promote the aims that we're talking about. He would explain that suppressing and persecuting those who see the world differently is morally wrong. For him, this was contrary to the teachings of the gospel and ultimately counterproductive. This is the area where I've said, you know, you, you really need to know how to present Christ in the world accurately. That's why you never saw him engaging in political overthrows. He would not use the sword that he had to occupy the position of beast one in order to justify position the position of beast two. He just wouldn't do it because he understood that that would be a compromising principle itself, that men and women must come to an understanding of what is right deep down inside by a conscience that has been liberated from fear because they have a proper knowledge of who God is. I mean, sure, what we're dealing with today, as I told you guys last week, is a paternal state narrative where the people on the ground want a parent and the government wants to exercise parental right over those people. That means that they have lost the imago day at the level of individual autonomy, at the level of courageous confidence to explore what is right and to suffer consequences for their freedom. No, they simply want to be told by the government what to do, and they're willing to do it even if it's foolish, even if it's non-scientific, even if it's unbiblical, and even if it's unsafe. And that's where our world is. The handbasket, as the Bible says, God is giving them over to a strong delusion that they should believe a lot because it requires integrity to stand your ground for what you believe when it's going to cost you. This is what happened to this man here. The powerful, the article says, will always seek ways to suppress the voices of the less powerful. This is why you can know that the Biden administration is just wrong and that uh, that Canada and Australia and parts of the UK are just flat out wrong because they're into suppression rather than debate. They're into threats and punishment rather than exploring scientifically and empirically what is right. The, the, the tens of thousands, maybe even million now, millions of doctors across every discipline in the medical field have felt the power of being censored, punished, threat, losing their license. And, uh, and sadly, uh, they felt the pain of loved ones rejecting them because they stood for the truth. I'm talking in the millions around the world. So the beast actually feels like he is winning. And this is why you need to wake up to what the World Health Organization is doing right now because it is setting up policy to put an end to every government's control so that it can control you from a global position outside of America. We warned about this 20 years ago, goals 2000, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030 is happening right before our eyes. You're gonna at a certain point if people don't wake up, your government will have nothing to be able to do with the policies that are taking place right now in Europe at the World Health Organization in the name of pandemics, which is the way you shut down government authority, self-autonomous government power. Look it up, it's very important. Let me close with these comments um, as the Arthur puts it. 
The powerful will always seek ways to suppress the voices of the less powerful. They will succeed only if we let them. 388 years ago today, they tried to silence Roger Williams permanently. Thank God he did not let that happen. That is God. The reason we must defend to the truth, the right, to utter intolerable speech is that failure to do so results in the swift and certain condemnation of intolerance also of intolerance of all speech that diminishes the power or legitimacy of those in power. More succinctly, we must defend the pariah's right to speak or everyone who crosses the regime conveniently becomes a pariah. In other words, we got to be open to people and their erroneous and maybe uh, odious and maybe even foolish ideas and concepts and theories. We got to be open to all of it. That's what Mr. Williams, Rogers Williams, was doing uh, uh, in, 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 in the area in which he was called to settle down, Rhode Island, uh, and help people to work through their differences. Uh, and as a Christian man, being able to seek to persuade them biblically as to how to live among people in a free way of freedom without uh, having to employ the, the powers of tyranny to do it, which is what's going on in our country right now. Men's consciences ought in no sort to be violated, urged or constrained. And whenever men have attempted anything by this violent course, whether openly or by secret means, the issue has been pernicious and the cause of great and wonderful innovations in the principalest and mightiest of kingdoms and countries. The outcome of suppression is always a pernicious uh, result and revolt of the people and ultimately a level of insane infighting civil war that brings about the most uh, disconcerting uh, debacle any country could go through. And you and I are definitely, you must know it, on the brink of that. What I'm looking at in my nation are two kinds of people. There may be more, but I'm certainly looking at two kinds. One is the kind of person that is just hoping that it all goes away, like just naturally, like, you know, a, a crazy uh, sore on your hand or on your leg or wherever. You don't know where it came from, and you're just hoping one day it goes away. But that crazy sore may be very much a symptom of extremely toxic practices going on in your life, whether it's environmental or whether it's something you ate or what have you. And avoiding that little scab will not make it go away. Even much more disruptive, and after a while, you are dealing with a serious problem. So it is with the sort of ecological, uh, largest sociological landscape that we're dealing with as we are dealing with in America. America has lost its way on so many levels, and the church has too. It does not understand its role of being prophetic and priestly. Your Mr. Williams <laughs> is a minister of the word of God, as were so many of them in the first uh, in the first founding years of our nation as well, who informed and guided those men who were working through the Constitution as well as the Bill of Rights. You've got to have a biblical uh, narrative speaking into the moral, ethical uh, implications of any kind of policy that governs men if we want them to have the blessing of God. You cannot shut biblical truth out, which is what my country has done and then if they want to replicate this godless 
uh, worldview in our educational system, and they expect they expect parents to just sit back and let them destroy their children. Well, if you do, parents, you are going to answer to God for that, and uh, it won't be kind if you let the children who are the Lord's be cut up into a thousand different pieces because they are not grounded in who they are in God. They will suffer for their choices, but you will be accountable for being the steward to help them know who they are. And you did not. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm going to take a break now, pay some bills. When we come back, we'll take your phone calls. one 367 5329 one We'll be right back. To join the conversation, call 888-4KFAX. That's 888-FOR-KFAX. And now back to Lifeline. The time is 6.06 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Yistan, pastor of Grace Bible Church. We're on Tuesday nights, um, 6.45. We start our Bible study. And we're done at 8 o'clock. Great Bible study. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians right now working through the gifts of the Spirit. And then we have a stirring and absolutely necessary, non-negotiable time of prayer. And uh, enjoy it. God is good to us. He provides for us. And we seek to meet the needs of the people of God abroad and near. Prayer time starts approximately 8 o'clock, and we end about 9, 9.15. That's a great time. Then we have our Friday Bible study starting about 6.45, 6.50 as well good group of people come out and we are working uh, through again 1 Corinthians 12 and doing Q&A. Just a wonderful time. Thank God for stirring our hearts to study his word, to ground us in the discipline of prayer because it constitutes the two offices, priesthood and prophet. And that's what he's called us to be, a holy nation, a peculiar people who call upon the name of the Lord because the needs of our world Demanded. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You want to start calling in? You can join me and Jermaine and John. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let's go to line one and talk with Jermaine. Jermaine, are you there? Oh yes, I'm here. Hey, what's going on? Well, not much. You know, um, just hearing hearing the narrative, it uh, kind of reminds me of like an archetype of what goes on around the world where, you know, it's repeated all over our planet. God seems to raise up these individuals who kind of go against the norm and they absolutely get convicted of the, the true mission and inspired. And it's, uh, it's kind of like when you, you wake people up because they're in kind of like a formulaic religion, church worship type situation where they're going to kind of go with whatever they're being told to do. And, kind of feel like they're okay but you have one person that kind of shows up to shut all of that down and actually act like an ambassador of Christ and do the things that he was you know he's read in in scripture and it it has a radical effect on people and I think that's one of the reasons you see so many so many people using the tactic that was used then as used now to kind of just shut that person up and stop them at all costs because a lot of people are kind of they're they're looking for leadership whether they say they are or they're not, just based on their actions, how they'll do what they're told. And when someone kind of shows up with something that that's more godly inspired, 
it kind of tends to shake things up to the point where you'll mess up the whole system. So that that's kind of what I got from that that article. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Let's let's extrapolate a little bit deeper. And 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 really, for me, what it was, uh, I mean, I, you know, the 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 models of Mr. Williams are are um, they are superfluous throughout history. So many people can be called to the forefront who have done this, men and women, standing for truth. Um, and it's always again the case that it's going to be just a few. And so we stretch this out. What we see is how God inspires a person to go against the whole tide because he or she believes that what they're saying is so essential to be heard. Now, you'll notice that Mr. Williams is not trying to become his own dictator over people himself in another part of the land. He wants freedom for communication to be uh, allowed to take place with all of the diversity of uh, human beings that existed in his time, and you and I ha have more than that in our time because people are shape-shifting into all kinds of bizarre uh, individuated entities. But nevertheless, freedom has to uh, embrace that liability because what we believe is truth will emerge and show itself supreme over time as long as freedom allows for it to do so. I'm looking at what's happening here in California. You and I have talked about this. You know that I tell the saints who pay very careful attention to me to know that the two witnesses have to suffer. Mr. Williams suffered. You always are going to suffer. That does not mean you're wrong. It does not mean you're bad. It just means that you you have your eye on the bullseye. And like you said, uh, government powers are going to challenge you. The enemy's going to challenge you. Friendly fire is coming from places where people just don't have an understanding and or maybe don't have the integrity. This is going to happen. It's natural to the gospel. But if you persevere long enough, as it was with Mr. Williams, he saw a robust society there in Rhode Island where men and women had such a love for freedom that other people were leaving other uh, uh, colonies and areas and townships and coming to uh, Rhode Island as well. That becomes the reward that comes after a long time of suffering. And of course, he was captured. He was persecuted. He goes off into the woods. He comes back. He goes to England. They want to uh, persecute him there. They put him in jail. He gets out of jail by the intervention of other statesmen. Oh, we have good men in Congress, good women in Congress. We have good doctors. We have good physicians. We have good uh, uh, scientists across the world who are standing for truth. We have good people in positions of economic influence as well who are ready to intervene whenever they see the savior type person emerge. So the B system wins for a while, but then it falters like, like Newsom. He knew he could not constitutionally hold on to uh, punishing people who didn't take the jab. He had no authority whatsoever, and yet he tried to pass a law. That law got um, summarily dismantled by the faithful, brave groups like ICANN and other uh, legal institutions who challenged those propositions. It's sad because none of that would have happened if 20 million people would have said no to the governor. He would have never even... Uh, they would have never even really tried to pass this bill if the people on the ground said, no, this is unconstitutional, we're not going for it. But it took a legal system, which again is a small group, 
but they're prepared. They know what to do. They know the measures. They know the laws. They know how to get the FOIA reports. They know how to expose the real chicanery going on in the system, as we have done over and over in the medical system. Uh, you know, uh, every the percentages now is really interesting when you look at the stats. Nobody of any significance is going to bother taking a jab anymore. The stats are so low. This is why Newsom has said, I better back down because if I force people to take a jab on jobs, there'll be nobody working and there'll be nobody doing anything because people are not going to do it. See, that only worked for a small window of time when fear was gripping everybody as to the narrative that you know, you're gonna die if you don't take the shot. Um, all of that was a fallacy. Now we know that it, the 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 implications of these these uh, these variations, these variants, are so insignificant that uh, it definitely does not result. It does not require a shot to deal with, particularly when the shots are completely the jabs are completely irrelevant. You'll never catch up with the new variant. That's the fallacy of, of vaccines. They never catch up with new variants. So he had to let that go. He also had to let go of his a, a desire to try to trap parents who said, we're not gonna let our children be indoctrinated by this absolutely abominable stuff called transgenderism. He had to back away from that. So we see that when we stand for the truth, you're gonna be punished. But if you stand long enough, uh, reality shows up and people begin to see that things are unjust. That's just the way it goes in a free world. And if we do more than that, if we keep pushing back, if we keep standing up, if we keep going to meetings, if we keep uh, presenting the signs, what happens is people on the ground begin to realize that we're not rabble rousers. We're not trying to hurt anybody. We're not trying to punish anybody. We're simply telling you that they're not telling you the truth. They're not telling you the truth and you need to be responsible for knowing what the truth is. This is always the way it works in a free country until the government becomes so maniacal as are in many other countries, they start overtly punishing those who are standing up for truth. We're not there yet, and we don't have to actually get there as long as we're willing to stand up for the truth. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Got to take another break. We'll take your phone calls, 1-888-367-5329. 1-888-367-5329. I'll be right back. To join the conversation, call 888-4KFAX. That's 888-FOR-KFAX. And now back to Lifeline. We are back. The time is 621 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let's go to line number two. Talk with John from Oakland. John, are you there? Hello? Hello. Yeah. Ah, John. Can you, yeah, this is John. You drive, you're driving, John, and it's kind of really hard to hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? It's much better. What's your thoughts, man? Okay. <laughs> um, there's a scripture, 2 Corinthians 4 and 8. Um, since I'm driving, I was wondering if, if you could read it for me. But you, have you have you, have you taken it to memory, 2 Corinthians 4 and 8? Have you taken it to, to memory? I have not. I have not okay. memorized it, but... Okay. Um, do you I, know I the know gist it, of it? it I, I do, but I was just saying if you even knew the gist of it. Because you know the verse. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the verse um, because I was reading it right before I got on the phone with you. <laughs> but um, basically, it talks about um, not being discouraged, uh, having adversaries on every side. Absolutely. And, uh, it, it also talks about it. If the gospel is here, it's hid to those who don't know. Right? Absolutely. Who are blind. So now that's going to be Second Corinthians. That's going to be Second Corinthians chapter chapter uh, four. If you're if you're referring yeah, to yeah, four, four and eight, yeah, four and eight. Okay, that's Second Corinthians like that. chapter four. So what we'll do just for the uh, listening audience's uh, edification, because that's a great portion of scripture. It really starts off with the fact that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of those that believe not. That means the vast majority of humanity does not see the glory of God in the person of Christ because they are distracted by false system. This is what Paul said in verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that are not believing, lest the light of the glorious gospel of God should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Christ's sake. For God hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we bear in this earthen vessel a treasure that the excellency of the power may be of God and not ourselves. This is where Paul says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ in order that the life of Christ also might be manifest in others. What was your meditation on that portion of scripture? I was just going to say that... Um as not as a Christian, but as a as a American, I feel discouraged. But I know that uh, in Christ, I, I still have the victory. Amen. And I know I, I know a lot of other uh, saints out there are feeling the same way. I just wanted to say, stay encouraged, stay prayerful, and uh, continue to witness and share the gospel. Because, like the word said, if, if we hold back, it's only hid to those who don't know it. And that's what the devil wants us to do. So. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you, John. I totally agree. Yeah. And, and what that yeah, is, well, is being you. counterintuitive. It's certainly true that the goal of the enemy is always to discourage. There's almost never a day that goes by where there isn't something coming my way to try to discourage me. Um, and that's true for everybody, particularly if you are seeking to do the truth. But once you understand that that, that signal of discouragement is there, it's to drive you to a calling upon God to remind you of how good God is and uh, and how blessed you are in him and that you and I are to continue to stand for the truth. As Paul said, even though our outward man perish, that's the latter part of chapter four, around verse 17 or 18, our inward man is being renewed day by day. So that tension of suffering uh, the uh, malignment and the ridicule and even the evil in our government. Because I can tell John that you know we've got uh, we have massive levels of evil going on in our government. I talk about it every week. I will talk about it until they take me off this program because we must tell the truth uh, in love so that men and women might know what they should be doing. At minimum, they should be praying. But like you said, we should continue having conversations with men and women. We should be continually setting for the solution that is a real 
um, a real vital faith in Christ where men are committed to God and his word, not just plain church or giving lip service, which is unfortunately a predominant manifestation of history on the part of the church. It just seems like uh, when the devil comes and says, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, religious folk just, they love this world. And, uh, you know, we have a purpose here, a mission. We're not here to just enjoy all of the accolades of life. That's not the purpose of the Christian. So, yeah, I thank you for that word. I do encourage everybody to who actually is uh, sighing and crying for the abomination done in Israel to a sigh and to cry to God and know that there's a day when the clouds are going to clear and things will be better, but they never get better on their own. They never do. As Mr. Williams, Roger Williams had to suffer for standing for the truth, so do you and so do I. But the Lord says, I am with you even to the end of the world for those who are willing to stand up for his truth. Thank you for that call, my dear brother. And I want to encourage you too, as well, to continue uh, standing on the promises of God, looking to Christ, uh, feeding on his word, listening to good teachers who set forth the truth as it is in Jesus. Let me go to line number one before I do a break and talk with Dana from Tracy. Dana, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, how are you, Dana? Hi. Um, so on? we were listening to the show tonight and the kids just wanted to call in and say hi to you. Hi, uh, hi everyone. Glad glad to hear from you. Sound like this is some some family time between uh, Petra and just some inside folks. Hi, hi. How you guys doing? <laughs> what are you up to, young lady? Hi, sweetie. How are you? Y'all doing okay? We missed you. Yes, we're doing great. We were just listening to the show. And just yeah, no, nah, I miss you guys hi, too. So. Everybody, everybody, okay? No sicknesses or we nothing. Are. No, we're well. <laughs> Good. Well, hopefully, we will be chatting pretty soon. We've okay. not seen each other for like years, and we live right down the street. So, hint, hint. <laughs> yes, I've already called, made the phone call. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. I'll talk Coming to you soon. Very soon. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. All right. Let me see what time it is. Uh, 28. Okay, let me go to, all right, I'm going to start with my, I've got three lines open, and we've got a whole 30 minutes as well. I, I forgot about that. one 367 one Some of your other kids can call me as well. Keep me company for the next half hour. I don't mind. Love your questions. It doesn't matter. You can bring them all. This is what we do. God has been good. He allows us to talk publicly like this. Some of y'all have been knowing me for multiple years doing this, so look at how good God is. He grants unworthy servants to be able to speak to tens of thousands of people uh, every Monday. Happy about it. Uh, line number three, James, are you there? Hello? James, how are you, my brother? Hey. God be the glory. You know, I'm still working with it, sir. Still working. Amen. Amen. What's your thoughts? Uh, you know, as you were... But you brought up the last verse, uh, you know, that John brought up, and we're talking about suffering. You know, that's been a topic that, you know, I've been trying to introduce to believers, you know, that I walk in circles with, to wake up the fact that that's something that we have to experience as believers. 
even though we, I'm not saying we should welcome it and want it, but we have to expect it and know that these verses are there for a reason, like the one that says, it's getting my mind right now. But when he talks about, oh, he's talking about, we have to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. It, yes, sir. It, it sounds like an oxymoronic term when you talk about the fellowship of someone's sufferings, you know. But I mean, that's real talk right there, and I believe we have to drill down into that because it's not as if though we're gonna enjoy it, but we have to do it. I don't believe the Lord Jesus Christ for one minute uh, was embracing it, but He knew it. And I use Luke twenty two and forty two uh, to support that. Uh, sure. When the text is saying, saying he's talking to the father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. I mean, if it was right. any other way, remove this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. So it was never uh, about his will. It's never about us when it comes to this, you know, when, when it comes to this idea of suffering. And to me, because we, we don't do without anything in this nation we know i think we don't go well when it comes to doing without or going through something going through anything you know but that's a part of the process i was going to ask you would, would you agree with that i mean because that that seems like the missing that seems, that, that to me that seems like if we were to i'm going to say this carefully embrace that ingredient of suffering i think we would be perhaps well on our way down the road. Does that make any sense? Totally. And, and because we are coming up against a hard break, I'm going to actually come back and develop that a bit more. Um, this is the essence of who we are if we're true believers and mature. Uh, there are a lot of Christless and crossless believers today. They're Christless in that Jesus is not the uh, essence of their conversation. And they're crossless in that they don't know what it means to suffer for righteousness sake. So, and this is really a critical uh, moment in time in that regard. If we have many more men and women bold enough to stand for the truth and, and make Christ the clear solution to people's problems, all hell is going to break loose. And then you're going to discover there with you. That is the fellowship of his suffering as he was with the three Hebrew boys. He will always be with those who suffer and partake of his suffering. And he said it, the master and the disciple. The disciple will never be greater than the master. If they hated him, they're going to hate you. And unless we are really willing to frame that kind of ideological worldview, we can really, we can really never be used by God in any real uh, significant way, particularly publicly. They love for us to be silent Christians. I got to take a break. Give me a call, you guys. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We'll be right back. To join the conversation, call triple eight four KFAX. That's eight 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 F O R K F A X. And now back to Lifeline. We are back. The time six thirty seven. Before we go to the phone lines, UN President approves pandemic declaration. Privacy experts warn of digital gulag. Of course, you don't know about that. You don't remember studying what happened in the days of uh, 
of Russia in the, in the days of Stalin, in the days of Hitler and many others who, who put in prison people who protested against their rules and regulations. And as some of the historians have stated, um, those who forget history are destined to repeat it. And that's where we are today. The um, World Health Organization, over the objections of 11 nations, the United Nations General Assembly president totally approved Today approved a declaration on pandemic prevention that seeks to create a global pandemic authority. Now, you need to hear this. Critics say that the declaration supports COVID-19 style restrictions, including closing schools and disproportionately throwing men and women out of work and into poverty. So much could be said about that. This is how you destroy economies. This is how you destroy conscience. This is how you make slaves. The United Nations General Assembly president today approved of a non-binding UN declaration on pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. It's called PPPR. Without a full assembly vote and over the objection of, a, of 11 nations. Let me see if I can put it this way, and I'll go to the phone lines. Here in the UN, they agreed to a World Health Organization set of policies that would, upon an emergency, declare that there's another pandemic, whether they prove that it's a pandemic or not, in a, in a very earnest and uh, uh, serious way, <clears throat> what we call evidential medicine. Prove that it's a pandemic. Don't just say it. Because today, people will believe anything, anybody behind a microphone with a suit on that says they speak for the president all of a sudden it's true, but it's not true just because you said it's true. But here in this UN assembly, they have set up a set of criteriums. Although there are 11 nations that were in that assembly who objected. Why did those 11 nations object? Because they were the very 11 nations I talked to many of you guys about over the last two years who picked up on the scam, who picked up on the poison, who picked up on the bad product that Big Pharma was selling to their countries without giving them the data on it. And they stopped it. And now they want to make sure that what doesn't happen again is that the World Health Organization can declare a pandemic and all the governments will once again in lockstep shut their society down and wreak havoc on the minds, conscience, and lives of families and nations. But guess what country just submitted lock, stock, and barrel to this set of dictatorial outside of our government, outside of our authority uh, system of controls? America. America, along with Canada, along with Australia, and along with the UK. Those are the four goofy stooges, um, uh, philosophically speaking, that are part of this whole agenda of destroying confiscate wealth and have power. They've agreed with this policy. Now, this policy does not go into force until mid-2024. But the way wicked governments work is they set up policies, you guys, behind closed doors where the media complicit with them will not tell the American people what they're doing or the people around the world what they're doing. You're getting this from Children's Health Defense. You're getting this from Robert F. K. Jr. and other platforms that are willing to tell you the truth. Hey, we've got this outside entity who was talked about 
30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, in Goals 2000, in Agenda 20, by the Club of Rome, by the Council for Foreign Relations, by now the um, uh, World Economic Forum, by all of these sold out politicians and government officials who are working with these cabals to create an open society. What does that mean? That means no more borders. That's what you're seeing in Texas. That's what you're seeing in the dump of people from other countries in all of our states. This is what you're seeing, a complete bleeding down amalgamation, a complete hybrid of society by people from other countries just dumped in by the hundreds of thousands in our nation, millions now, and tens of millions around the world to such a degree that it destabilizes the society. This is why New York is upset to the hilt now because of the millions of homeless people on their streets and crime is off the chain. Now, all we need in a society of what we can call Gotham City is an additional crisis, like some kind of pandemic imposed upon society without verification and then all of a sudden you're back into lockdown mode, back into fear-mongering mode, back into mass, back into being lined up and shoveled like sheep through some kind of medical protocol that was not proven. You see, they've already seen that America's American people have tolerated it largely, that they will do that. And they're going to wait for a little while. They're not going to do it again tomorrow, not next month. They're going to front load another pandemic, first of all, with economic crisis. We're already dealing with that. Your prices are off the chain. They're going to front load it with the destabilization of crime everywhere, high gas prices. They're going to front load it with wars around the world. You're already seeing that happening again. Ukraine is happening in Israel. You're getting ready to see more of that because that works on a larger sociological level to put fear in men and women and to set them up for the nanny state. What will our parents do for us? What will government do for us to keep us from being uh, in this kind of trouble that's going on around the world? Set you up. Now, the real blame, I mean, I could blame us as citizens on the ground, but um, we're shillings. The real blame is our government. The people we put in office to represent us and to uphold the Constitution. That's where the blame really goes. Because as I've talked to you about the senior executive services are the deep state. Those people that have been politicians for 40 years, like Joe Biden and Feinstein and Pelosi and all of those people, they're making all kinds of money with all kinds of nations around the world. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows when Nancy Pelosi pulls her stocks and bonds out of the market, it's because she's been tipped that something is getting ready to fall. Then she makes millions of dollars. That's a conflict of interest in politics, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what? I'm speaking in the wind. Americans don't care about constitutional rights or freedoms. It doesn't care about the Bill of Rights. It does not care about prosperity or success. It doesn't care about what it means to the republic. It does not care. It's ready to be a slave. The number is one 888 That is our public service announcement. <laughs> You're getting ready to be foisted again into the corral of some kind of 
pandemic crisis. It'll probably take about a year. It'll be here. Um, we're going to take a break. I'll come back and uh, close out with Kiana on the Monday edition of Lifeline. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We're back. The time 6.50 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. That's interesting. Israel is in a heated battle right now with the Palestinians. So they say. The optics look really bad. And uh, Stand With Israel tour going in October. Well, we know a war doesn't end that quick. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. We talked about this yesterday. You guys remember that. Remember, our media is infiltrated, has been for a long time. It shows you what they want you to see. Let's go to line one and talk with Kiana from San Leandro. Kiana, are you there? Hi, Pastor Jesse. Hello, young lady. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. I was calling just to ask you about what's going on in um, in Israel. And I wanted to find out um, what your thoughts are on it because I um, came in later. Yeah, um, I didn't actually talk about it because I really wanted to kind of concentrate on um, free speech in relationship to um, a young man who um, who was a, a major role in actually advancing freedom of speech here in the Americas, in particular in relationship to the indigenous peoples of, of America. But let me say briefly, we've got a few minutes we can talk. I'm, you know, I, for years I have been talking to the Bay Area and abroad about having a healthy eschatological view and not just simply buying into the mainstream narrative, nor the mainstream narrative of eschatology. The church has seemingly always historically aped the world. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is the church loves to follow the coattails of the money, and wherever the money is, it will frame its theology around catering to that. For many, many years, we bought a false gospel um, in a salvation by works or a uh, a seeker-friendly gospel. We've warned about Rick Warren. We've been warned about even Billy Graham's, uh, 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 you know, altar call modality of salvation. We've warned about that, the, the fact that the gospel of works is not the gospel of grace. And, and some people get it and some people don't, and some people will, and some people won't. I've warned about um, uh, the idea of eschatological notions or end time notions or the return of Christ notions need to really be Christocentric and not ethnocentric. And uh, I, I get the benefits of people thinking that, you know, <clears throat> that an ethnocentric eschatology is something that would honor, let's say, national Israel because the vast majority of Americans have bought into the hype that came in from a set of uh, heretical thinkers around uh, a, a literal millennium on this earth and a golden age period and a seven-year tribulation period and an antichrist coming up out of uh, the East and uh, and basically a uh, ethnic-centered or Israel-centered uh, millennial period. Uh, they, so they frame and chop up and uh, organize the book of Revelation 
in such a way. My concern is that we are engaging in the same kind of uh, predictable programming, uh, framing our prophecies, framing our expectations because we have the power to, as we have done with wars in the past, as we did with COVID. We know now that COVID was already prepared by event 201, where many of our authorities came together <clears throat> and talked about how they would implement the uh, shutdown policies and deal with pushback at the media level explicitly. Look it up, event 201. I talked about it. It's old news. But people don't want to believe that you and I are dealing with a Truman story society in our world where cameras are aimed and, and news is given and messages are uttered. And when you repeat the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again, people become unwilling to examine their biases that have been framed and, and uh, locked in by, by narration. I am uh, obviously uh, anti-war anywhere. Uh, I have absolutely no toleration for promoting war in the name of a country. Ukraine is a debacle. And people are starting to wake up to that, too. We told people when the Ukraine war uh, started over a year ago that Biden was covering his tail and his family's tail for all of the money that they were making from Burisma and other countries as well, that to turn that into a war-torn country is to pull on the emotional coattails of the American people and forget the criminal activities of the Biden family. And we bought into it until now we realize that the hundreds of millions of dollars we're spending over there could be better used here. I don't think we're going to ultimately get it. I think our nation likes to be lied to. And uh, what's happening in the uh, conflict in Israel right now, I hope that it's a small skirmish that will end quickly and that they will get back to a uh, pattern of letting the Palestinians live where they are and the uh, Jews live where they are, and <clears throat> maybe one day there there could be a peace accord that recognizes both groups as real human beings and uh, and and can live in peace. I mean, real estate is not the it's not a, it's not worth destroying or annihilating a whole people group. And I think Christians are on bad grounds when they argue covenant rights for Israel. I, I just think that they're operating out of an Old Testament paradigm that is no longer valid if it was ever valid in that kind of sense that you just can go in there and and exterminate people or remove people and then set up shop. But God will actually have the last word because he owns all the land. That's what he said in Leviticus, Leviticus 25 to Israel. This is my land. I'm the landowner. God's the landowner of all property, and they were to be there in, in concert with obedience to Torah which they have not been obedient to Torah, and that's why they were dispersed. And yes, they came back in 1946 and uh, 47 under the United Nations. That's a whole nother conversation. Many of us know about that, and they're there now, you know, but they haven't had any kind of peace and, uh, and, and won't until they really submit to the crown rights of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what scripture says. Um, and so a lot of what's happening, I think, is a forced hand based upon beast two, Beast one politics. I talked about that at the end of my sermon last last on last Sunday. Beast two is coming. They're trying to set up a literal temple with a literal priesthood, with a, a literal worship and literal sacrifices and a literal red heifer, um, as if there isn't anything said in the New Testament about the end of the old and the establishing of the new.
I think that's kind of dangerous territory. If you and I live to see the temple rebuilt, if we live to see the sacrifices reordered, if we live to see the priesthood established again, um, all of the New Testament is a lie. And the apostles were wrong. And Jesus did not <clears throat> come. I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth, the one who rose again, ascended on high, and is Lord of all. If, if we if we if we see that occur, then uh, there's a, there's a lot more trouble that we're going to be dealing with because you're looking at the final stage of the ecumenical church coming into play, and anything that is not ecumenical will be. Uh, will not be tolerated. If you think right now we're dealing with some difficult times with the UN and the World Health Organization, wait until Beast 2 emerges. That's going to be a real difficult time for the world. So I hope that this is a sharp skirmish that's going on in Israel and that we are not moving into um, significant portions of a tribulation of which um, the world is not ready to deal with, but we might very well be. We will keep an eye on it for sure. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan. Glad to have been with you. Um, as always, um, do what God tells you. Keep your eyes on Christ. Read your Bible. Fellowship heartily with men and women who call upon the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Ask God to help you to be circumspect. The days are evil. Until next time, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord calls his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord give you his peace in Jesus' name. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.